0: Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New
1: Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.
0: What if we acted the same way in real life as we do in social media? Can we be friends? Poke, poke. Poke. poke, Can we be friends? Yeah. Poke. friends now, yeah. We're friends. Are you feeling that? Check out what I had for lunch arugula with salmon. The wow. bomb. Check out what I had for dessert. I love me some froyo. <laughs> 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 OMG. Time for a selfie. Larger than lights. Poke. Poke. In the poke. Baby in the I think I just saw Al Roker. Pooped my pants. Yes, is. Is this Roach coach is so clean, said no one clean. ever. LOL. Can we be friends? Poke. Poke. Poke, 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 poke. <organizer musicgae> checked out Liquid Church on Sunday.
1: Yeah. Uh, hey, everybody. Good to see you guys. Glad you're here. Welcome, Nutley, New Brunswick, Church Online, wherever you are. Man, glad you guys are here. Hey, actually, want to start today a little bit different. Uh, just share with you a testimony. A testimony is a story about where we see God doing stuff. Kind of cool. Um, this happened last week after one of our services. You guys know uh, the service last week, we were asking God really to make His Holy Spirit palpable, uh, you know, presence. A lot of you were like, you know, I need kind of a fresh filling of God's Spirit. And, um, and it was kind of neat. At the end of our services, some folks came forward for prayer, for you know, healing of broken bodies, broken relationships, all sorts of stuff. And there was this kind of palpable sense you know, of God's presence in our room. And uh, the night before, I had this like, sense like God was going to do something. I don't typically always have that feeling. I, and I said to my wife, I don't know what that is. And um, it was really kind of cool because at the last service of the day, um, a young woman walked up to uh, one of our pastors and handed him this. I don't know if you can see what this is. That's a bag of methamphetamines and she said these are the pills that i was going to end my life with today. And she said i'm giving them to you. And I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Yes. Powerful. It's powerful. It's incredible. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. It's um it, it's incredible to me. Um and it's a real palpable to me evidence of the spirit of Jesus alive and at work. You know, when Jesus saves us, he saves us in every way, spiritually, emotionally, physically. Um, She's the mother of uh, two young kids. Um, She's in her twenties, and she came prepared, you know, to take her life last Sunday. You know, in First John, Jesus said, um, you know, the reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That's that's exactly what's happening here. Okay. Yeah, you can praise God for that. That's that's why I, I want to just thank God for that. That's incredible to me. And it's not like we, you know, now we wave a magic wand and everything's all okay or you know, changes. There's gonna be a long road there that we're gonna walk with her, you know, to sobriety. But it's an incredible thing to realize that people can come in and have their lives changed. And you know, you may be a little bit cynical about that. I understand there's a whole psychology of addiction that have to do with you know physical and psychological kind of things that go with it. But the deepest reality, the Bible says, is that there is a spiritual root to these kind of things. In John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He was trying to take the mom of two girls last week. And Jesus said, I've come that they may have what? Have life and have it to the full. In other words, there's life and there's death, and the enemy is trying to lead and destroy our families and the fabric of our of our community um, in every possible way. And then Jesus says, but I've come to have life and I have authority over the enemy. And so I'm, I'm praying that that's gonna happen more and more in our midst. And I just want to pray right now. Would you just join me in thanking God and praising Jesus? Lord, we give all glory to you for work that you're doing, Lord, even when we're unaware. I thank you for our new sister in Christ, Lord. She wants to be baptized. She came thinking, Lord, really a demonic thought that she'd be ending her life. And you said, I'm gonna give you a new life and baptize you into eternal life. And we praise Jesus for that, God. We ask that he would receive great glory in this church. I just thank you for the work you're doing and that we get to witness it. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Is that exciting? That's pretty cool, right? Pretty cool. I want to share that with you. All right. Let's turn, uh, open your Bible. Would you turn to Luke chapter 19? Uh, My guess is God's going to speak to you, some of you today, and you're like, wow, okay, that's that's powerful. I'm not a pill head, though. What, what is God looking for from me? And uh, here in Luke 19, this is, a, this is kind of the capstone message of the series we've called Follower. We've identified there's two types of Christians by name. Right where in America everyone's Christian. But there are fans and there are followers. And Jesus is always asking this question. Are you my fan? In other words, you like me. Uh, you know, you, you go to church, you call yourself a Christian. Or are you really my follower? Do you make hard sacrifices? Do you open up all areas of your life that you struggle with? And again, you may not struggle with that today, but we all have these areas that are strongholds in us spiritually. And Jesus always had these DTR conversations to find the relationship, right? We, we saw that. And here in Luke 19, he has a DTR conversation with a guy named Zach. Uh, you could use his full name, Zacchaeus. Uh, if you grew up in Sunday school, you know a little something about his physical height. Zacchaeus was a Wee little man, a wee little man was he, climbed up in a sycamore. Okay, that's the Mumford. Incident. If you grew up in Sunday school, you know what I'm talking about. If it was your first time in church, that was weird. I apologize uh, for that. But there's this funny little element to this story in Luke 19 because it does say he was a short man. It's relevant because the crowds are pressing in, Jesus is coming through, and Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, so he has to climb this tree so he can see over everybody's shoulders. So if you are vertically challenged, this is a special day for you. Okay. If you're on the short, I don't have anything against short people. I'm like kind of, you know, average height, but uh, I just don't like when short people pretend like they're not really short. So just to clarify, how do you know if you're short? You know, you're short. If you go bungee jumping off your front porch. All right. You know, you're short when it rains, you're the last to know, you know, that's, that's kind of, or, or when you get, you're getting angry right now when someone tells a short joke, you're like, I'm going to kick him right in the ankles, you know, kind of thing. I want to be sensitive. We're not going to call anybody short today in honor of Zacchaeus. We're going to call you fun-sized, okay? So here we go. Let's look at this. Luke 19, first 10 verses. Read it together. We'll see what we learn. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was, what's the word? Wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a fun-sized man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead. And he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once, welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here." And now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back how much? Four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Now, here's the deal. We actually, whether you've heard this story before or not, I think it's going to apply to your life in a a pretty specific way today, because this is one of the most likely people ever to become a follower of Jesus, okay? Zacchaeus was not popular, had nothing to do with his height. Verse 2 says he was a chief tax collector and, and was wealthy. If you've ever read the New Testament, even casually, you know tax collectors, not popular, not a lot of friends, okay? for tax. And I always wondered why, because it's always like, oh, the tax collectors and prostitutes, and I'm like, I get nobody likes taxes, but why the, such hostility? So This week, I went back to to kind of uh, do a little research how this worked in the first century, and I found something kind of interesting. Remember, at this time, Israel was occupied by Rome, the Roman Empire. And to finance that global empire, the Romans levied exorbitant taxes under every nation that was under Rome's control. And that felt very unfair because it was about 45% tax rate, okay? But it was very upsetting to the Jewish people. Because their taxes were going to support a secular, godless government. Does this sound familiar? That not only... <laughs> no, it's not the same. But it, it, it was very really abusive, actually. They worship pagan gods. And so the Jews are like, we worship the one god, and our tax money is going to finance pagan gods. So what would happen is the Romans would actually hire local Jews to collect the taxes. And they would go door to door, kind of knocking on the door... And because they were protected by Caesar, they would often skim off the top another 10 to 15%. So I want you to imagine, you know, knock on your door, and you open up, and there's like, you know, Joe Pesci, right? You know, that's how I envision Zacchaeus, right? Time to pay up, buddy. Come on. Let's go, you know. Let, keep it coming. Keep it coming. And you're like, uh, you know, and you look over his shoulder, which is not hard to do. And you see the Roman, you know, legion out there with their swords and spears, and you're like, it's like a politically approved thief. And you have to pay him. He's like, so long, sucker." That is literally, you didn't have a choice. That's what tax collectors were. They were traitors to their own people. They had no problem working for Caesar and screwing their own people, okay? So that's why Zacchaeus was despised because he was a cheat. Not only that, it says he was the what? Chief tax collector. So this guy is the cheat of the cheaters, okay? He's in charge of the whole operation. He oversaw the whole scheme, and he would actually take a cut, of what the other tax collectors robbed. So to say he was socially unpopular is an understatement. The entire town knew who this guy was and wished he was dead. They hated him, okay? No friends on Facebook. He would have, they would have been happy if he fell out of the tree and died. So Jesus comes to this village, and the opposite is happening. Jesus is the most popular man in the Middle East. He's been healing people. He's been teaching with great authority. And people are like, woo, Jesus. He's at the height of his popularity, and so many people are crowding in that Zacchaeus goes up this tree, and Jesus stops in the middle of the crowd, and he goes, you, Zacchaeus, and people are like, oh, he's going to hammer him. (laughs) It says, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. What's the word? Today. Do you see this urgency? Come down here right now. Dude, you're, come here, come here today, I want to talk to you. And you're like, why? Why is this urgency? And he's like, Zacchaeus, you are what I am all about. You represent what I came to do in this earth. And it says, Zacchaeus came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. And all the people began to be, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. The people were scandalized. And let's just acknowledge you and I would have been too, okay? You're in church right now. And if Jesus shows up and we're like, woo, Jesus, awesome. Let's, you know, let's have a potluck supper afterwards. And And Jesus is like, no, I'm, you know, going across the street to the crack den, hang out with those. And we're like, what? You're in church? Why? I don't. Of all the people Jesus could have chosen, he chooses the most hated man in the city. It's like he'd be like, I'm having dinner with Bernie Madoff, actually. I don't have time for you. You're like, what? I wish that guy was dead. Why? Jesus is frustrating. You ever notice this in the New Testament? He's always making unpopular choices. It's like he doesn't care how many friends he has. He cares about followers. And by making this deliberate choice to associate with Zacchaeus, a notorious sinner, his approval rating would have just plummeted. If he was looking to score points with the crowd, he chose poorly. But you notice Jesus doesn't care about approval ratings. He actually, he's not looking to be accepted by everybody. He's looking for specific followers who are willing to risk their reputation and open all of their life to him in obedience. This is a classic episode where human greed meets the grace of God. Greed meets grace. We all know what human greed is. I don't even have to explain that. But do you know what grace is? You understand grace? Grace is the radical love and forgiveness of God to those who don't deserve it and least expect it. See, if if Jesus had called out Zacchaeus, he said, Zacchaeus, come down here. People were like, here it comes. They were expecting to say, you are a disgrace. To God's law and all that is holy, you deserve the gallows. The crowds would have went crazy. Literally, Jesus would, he would have gotten 100,000 more fans on Facebook. But because he says, come down here, I actually want to go to your house today and hang out with you. Acceptance. Embrace. Hospitality. I came for you. I want to show you what God's love is like. People were like, doesn't he know he's talking to? You? Yes. It's called Grace. God's radical embrace of people who can't help themselves, who are sinful and broken, and you love them, no strings attached when they least expect it. That's God's heart. That's the heart of the Father. It's not a religious heart. Let's judge people who are going through stuff. It's like in the middle of actually their addictions, in this case money, I'm going to scandalize them with something more powerful and hit them with grace. Even though Zacchaeus thought punishment would be coming, Jesus doesn't deliver it. And as a result, you know what? He becomes the object of scorn and ridicule. All the hatred and the anger and venom they had for Zacchaeus now gets pointed at Jesus. All of a sudden, what happens to his fans? Oh, we don't like this. And suddenly you realize why this encounter is so central to the mission of Christ. Guys, this is a preview of what Jesus was about to go through on the cross for you and I. See, where's Zacchaeus in this story, okay? We are the ones who've fallen short of God's commands. The the Bible says that we're we're actually the ones who don't deserve God's mercy and his love. The Bible actually says that that by nature, we're objects of wrath. In other words, compared to holy, almighty God, we fall short, but on the cross, Jesus does what? He says, but I've come for you, Tim Lucas. I'm gonna identify with you. I'm gonna take Tim's sins, put them on my shoulders and bleed and die for you out of love. I'm gonna absorb everything you earned. Punishment, wrath. And guess what I'm going to give you in return? Watch this. 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Christ we might become the what of God? The righteousness. So an exchange takes place on the cross. Jesus says, I'm going to take all of your failures, all of your faults, even you self righteous, prideful people who say, I don't really have any sin. Really? I'm going to take all of that on me, and in exchange, I'm going to give you all of my goodness. This is what the word justification means. You ever hear that word justification? It means how are we justified by God? How do you get made right with God? Jesus not only removes our guilt, but then he gives us his righteousness that he earned by perfectly fulfilling the law. So here's the deal. When you receive Christ, when I told our, my sister right with the pills here, You know how God looks at you now? She's like, I just feel guilty about this. I'm like, God looks at you just as if you had never sinned, but it also means just as if you had always obeyed. He looks at you right now. That's how God is looking at you. You may feel guilt or shame for things in your life that are kind of hidden, closed off from God. Secret sin over here. But in Christ, he looks at you. God looks at you and sees Jesus. Jesus. It doesn't matter the mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter the addictions you're struggling with. This is what grace does. To be saved by Jesus means he doesn't just cancel your badness. He credits you with his goodness. That is a powerful, powerful thing if you take that to heart. Let me tell you something. Last week, talking with people, praying for them. I was talking with a a guy who, you know, he screwed up. He made a bad choice. He just got a DUI. Uh, A woman whose husband, you know, left. Someone struggling with an eating disorder. I'm talking to all these different people. And this idea... (laughs) That God not only erases your failures, but then credits you with the perfect obedience of Jesus, that's powerful. That's life-changing news. That God looks at you that way. There's no condemnation because now you're in Christ. This is good news for all of us, and this is a preview of the cross. And right now, either that warms your heart or you say it can't be that good. Maybe it scandalizes you because you're more like the crowd is watching Jesus. See, if you have a religious spirit, grace will scandalize you because you say, there's got to be a litmus test for who can follow Jesus. All right? I mean, look, I've seen the pictures. Jesus is a clean-cut guy. He had a little bit longer hair. But he looks for clean-cut people to join his team, people who are clean, competent, and have it all together. That makes sense to our human minds. God blesses the good. He curses the bad. You got to be clean and competent. follow Jesus. Uh Uh-uh. Jesus says, just the opposite. I've come to seek and save who? The lost. People who are actually spinning out of control because they actually have an awareness of their need. They realize they're not going to beat this on their own. And now they're opening their heart to me. See, right now, you might have a religious spirit where you're like, man, I don't know. Be careful about preaching grace Tim, this way because people have to follow rules. They they, they really got to, you know, stay. Grace is the radical, furious, wrath of god poured out on jesus so that our greedy little hearts can receive the radical furious love that none of us deserve he said i came to seek and to save the lost i didn't come for the clean and the competent i came for the dui i came for the divorce i came for the addicted i came for the dishonest because when measured against god's perfection guys we all have fallen short of this I mean, are you really going to stand here today and say, I don't know, I think I'm pretty good? (laughs) Do you see yourself in Zacchaeus? Because that's who you are in relation to Jesus Christ. We're the outcast. But Christ says, I want to come in today. I want to dine with you today. I want to associate with you. You know what happens when God's grace touches your heart like that? There is spontaneous surrender. That's what happened. Because goes, I've just been coming for a couple of weeks. I feel like the people here don't judge me. But they love and accept me. And I, I, I don't want that anymore. I want Jesus. Look what happened to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and what? Let's read this together. Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. Spontaneous obedience. And if I cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back what? Four times the amount. What do you think the crowd's thinking? They're like, yeah, right, we'll see if this lasts, whatever. Spontaneous surrender, when that touches your heart, guys, Zacchaeus doesn't just make restitution. He gives generous interest to those he sinned against. See, grace inspires grace in return. We love him because he first loved us. And when you get touched by the grace and the Father's love, you will respond with radical grace. You will respond with radical generosity towards people in need. Here and now, right now, I'm giving, Jesus, thank you, you accept me, I'm giving all, half my possessions to the poor, four times the amount. And it's so cool because Jesus says, that's what salvation is. You're like, wait, what? Does it mean I have to give away everything? Zacchaeus is saved in every way, spiritually, financially, economically, as he surrenders his life and becomes a follower of Jesus, not just in word, but indeed, Jesus actually says, today, what's come to your house? Salvation, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. See, we typically think salvation is, a, is something that we intellectually believe. I believe Jesus died for me. He was raised again. Now I get to go to heaven. That's the intellectual process. <laughs> but when the Holy Spirit moves at 18 inches from your head to your heart, it will result in your hands opening up. Something will happen. I mean, can a person's entire life change like that? They're on a highway to hell, and suddenly Christ walks in, and he punches their ticket for heaven. Yeah, and you have been witnesses of it. Spontaneous surrender. It took a lot for our sister last week to walk up and say this. I'm done, and I'm giving my life to Jesus, and I want to be baptized. She's going to get baptized. That's what followers do. They spontaneously surrender whatever has a control over their heart. And I think that's the biggest difference is that there's instantaneous obedience. I think that's the big difference between fans and followers. Fans say, not today, let me think about it a little bit. Whereas followers, when they hear Jesus talking to them about a specific thing, they say, right now, here and now I give. Here and now I give. For my sister, it was her pills. For Zacchaeus, it was money. What is it for you this morning? what has God been talking to you about this week that he may want you to actually hand over to him today, this morning? If we, there's a lot of different ways you can fill that in. If we just stay with the Bible text here, I know money, big one for Zacchaeus, big one for a lot of us. We live in New Jersey, all right? Let's be honest. But to become a follower of Jesus meant that Zacchaeus had to come clean about his finances and reestablish God's priority first. See, it's not just believing, it's then obeying. And for him... It's about where he's putting his money, okay? That is one way you can distinguish fans from followers. Look at their debit card or their checking statement. When you're looking in Zacchaeus' pocketbook, what would your debit card say, right? What's in your wallet? <laughs> where does the majority of your wealth go? Is it towards your own house, your own cars, your college deal, your clothes, the loans and everything? And, oh, thanks, Jesus. Here's a tip. I like the worship today. That's what fans do. Followers of Jesus put God first in their finances. That's uncomfortable for me. (laughs) If you've been reading the New Testament, you know Jesus talks about money a lot. In fact, he talks about money more than the topics of heaven and hell combined. Why? Because God's obsessed with money? No. He's obsessed about what? Your heart. Because where your money is there, your heart will be also. God doesn't need your money. If he needs your money, he would just take it, okay? (laughs) Okay. Everything you have is his. Don't fall for an illusion that you're a self-made man. That's pride. That's self-righteousness. We gotta look here into Zacchaeus's pocketbook. It had an economic impact. What would your wallet say? Here's a second miracle that happened this week. This for me is as miraculous as this one. This is an email. We got a lot of emails. I've never gotten one like this before. It's from a husband and wife in this church. They have a family of five, and they contacted our financial office because of a concern they had. Here's the deal. This family, they're regular tithers. If you're new to following Jesus, what a tithe is, tithe literally means 10%. We have a number of families in this church. Every week, every month, they give the first 10% of their income to this church, no strings attached. Not because they love the church, but they know God's moving, and they want to see people set free, lives saved. They're investing in the kingdom of God. That may seem crazy to you. I get that if like you're, you're new to the faith, but just watch this. Watch this now. This family tithes every, every uh, month, and that's a sacrifice. Those of you who tithe, thank you so much for that. But the guy who sent this, the father of five, his subject line was, uh-oh, big boo-boo. <laughs> and he wrote, we recently received our giving statement from Liquid, and we couldn't for the life of us figure out why it was lower than anticipated. I thought I set up my tithe to be taken out every other week online, and that would run automatically for all of 2012. 2012. It appears that our auto withdrawal accidentally stopped in April. In other words, they they would just have it taken out online automatically. This was a year ago when this stopped. We need to make this right as a family. It's with a gigantic gulp and a leap of faith that we now write a check to liquid to cover what we should have given all along. We didn't budget for this, but we will trust God to provide and meet our needs as he always have. Thanks for all you do in hearing these words from our heart. This to me is a supernatural sign of God's spirit. <laughs> I can count on one hand the number of times someone's walked up to me and given me a bag of pills. One. I can count on one hand the number of emails when someone said, hey, I was calculating my giving. I really want to give a little bit more because I realized there's a gap here and I want to close that. One. One. Time. That's incredible to me. And I'll just be honest because I, I, at first I was like, dude, you don't have to do that. And I was like, who am I to say that to them? You know, this was a simple accounting mix-up. They're they're like account number expired or something. And they got five kids. I'm like, food, clothing, college. You got five excuses right there. They didn't budget for it. They could have said, hey, we'll get back on track next Sunday. There's a million excuses they could have made. But you know what they said? Here and now I give. Okay? That's what sincere followers do. They didn't cheat anybody like Zacchaeus. They just are recipients of grace. They understand that God's unmerited favor, they could never pay him back. and said, everything we have is his. We always put him first in everything, and when they saw a gap financially, they closed it immediately, spontaneous surrender. And I'm sharing this with you this morning because I want you to understand, I'm not here to give you a guilt trip. This is not about money. This is, this is about your heart. Followers of Christ who are all in put God first in their finances, and tithing is just a simple indicator of that, Okay. My wife, Colleen, and I, I'll just tell you from personal experience, full disclosure, we have been tithing for years. It is one of the most fundamental priorities for our family. And the reason we do that, actually, is a little bit selfish. We prioritize tithing to God 10% every, every week for two reasons. And the first is greed. We have the heart of Zacchaeus. We live next to the Short Hills Mall. Have you ever seen the people who worship at the Short Hills Mall, man? They're there right now, man. It is like the mecca of materialism. Okay, now for me, it's not the Short Hills Mall. I, I, like I want to go to REI, and I'm like, I need a kayak. You know, like like I, we're going go a different thing. One of the reasons we tithe is because I have that capacity for greed, and I want more, and it's all for me, and it's all. And tithing breaks the spell of consumerism. It puts money in its rightful place. It's all God's. I get to keep 90%? Amazing. It's about grace. That's the second reason. It doesn't just break the spell of greed, but it reflects the... Fo- we, when I, See, I've been saved a while, and one of the problems with that, and for those of you who've been in the journey, is that you're like, oh, yeah, I remember the cross. You, know, all, you lose touch with grace. You forget what got you in is what gets you on in the journey. And this makes me think, oh, my gosh, Christ paid for my sin. He canceled my debt. Those are economic terms. And when I tithe, I realize I'm just giving just a fraction of the sacrifice that Christ gave to save me. He who was rich for Tim's sake became what? Poor. Grace. Generosity. We want to mirror the Father's heart. And that's why we give first firstfruits. It, it, guys, can I just say this? Is there something better on earth you can give to Is there a better investment you can make on earth, this side of heaven? I mean, guys, when you see lost people coming to Christ, those two girls were going to lose their mother last Sunday, and she met Jesus instead. Is there something better? I'm not scolding you, I just feel intense about this. There are people who are dying. They're going to hell in a handbasket. And Christ says, I want you to be a part of this. That's why we give. Amen? Sorry, I get intense about this stuff. I've been carrying that bag around in my backpack all week. As a reminder, Colleen is like, just don't get pulled over, you know. <laughs> we want our hearts to be more like our fathers. <laughs> That's why we give. That's why we give. Don't have to keep the lights on in the church. I just want to be part of the kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And I hope you do too. You're going to have a chance to do that today. We're going to receive our offering by receiving communion. <laughs> and here's the deal. You've probably seen at all of our campuses, we have communion set up, but we also have a basket here that says, here and now I give. And here's the deal. I, I just want to make sure you don't Nobody's mishearing this and that this is not a guilt or like manipulation or something. So I want you to do this because we put in your program every week this envelope. But would you open it up and just read the verse we print in there? If you don't have this envelope, just raise your hand. Ushers will come around. We print one verse, and it's not about we need your money. (laughs) It says, you have to make up your own mind as how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves the person who gives what? Cheerfully, meaning there's going to be joy. There's going to be overflow in your heart. That's what happened to Zacchaeus. He's like, here and now, I got salvation. I'm giving. Listen carefully to me. Listen carefully to me. Listen. God is not a tax collector. This is not a religious tax. That's what fans give. They give, a, a, a t- they think it's a tax or a tip, okay? That's. This is a tithe, and that's good news because proportionally it's less than the other two. A tax, you guys know, is... okay? A tip is usually 20%. A tithe is 10%. Can I tell you how new believers hear that? They hear about a tithe and they're like, God lets me keep 90%? They can't believe they've been saved and that's it. It's old believers say, oh, 10%. When Zacchaeus got saved, he said, here and now I give. And it has financial impact, guys. And so here's what I want to challenge you to do to make this right this morning. We put an extra card in your envelope. Take a look at that. And if you're like, I want to give faithfully to God this year, just give us your email, and I'll send you a link next 24 hours. You can do it online. We could, we'll tell you about direct deposit, whatever is easiest for your family. If you're not ready to take that step, I totally get that. You may be along the journey. You're like, I- I'm not sure if I can follow God fully with my finances. I understand there's a gap. But if you're here this morning, and you're like, man, I've, he's been pressing on this soft spot. In fact, here's how you know if God's talking to you. When you read the Bible, and he says, the rich running ruler, I want you to go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. If you find yourself rising up and saying, that's unfair, that's probably your deal. <laughs> it's the stuff where you feel that's too much. That's how you know God's speaking to you. That's what salvation looks like for you. But this isn't about buying your way into heaven. This is about grace. If you're new to our church, here's what I need you to know. We're a generous church. We're a tithing church. That means as an organization, we give away 10% every year. To serve the poor and the needy. We do that with Hurricane Sandy. Last year we gave away 13%. Just goes right out. No strings attached. Help families with special needs. We're going to do another outreach on Easter. To serve families who are rebuilding in Staten Island. And, and, and giving to the gospel is the greatest investment you can make. The side of heaven. I believe that. I believe that whether I'm a pastor or not. But being a follower for Zacchaeus. Many put God first in his finances. What will you do this morning? Here's how we'll receive the offering. All of our campuses will um, ask you to take that envelope and you're going to come forward down the center aisle and you can just drop it in the basket. And then you're going to take the communion wafer, which represents the body of Christ broken for you, his blood shed for you. Remember, Second Corinthians 5, what's it say? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we become the Righteousness of God, all out of Jesus' account, poured into your account. You're gonna take that wafer, dip it in the cup, dip, don't sip. Take that and return to your seat up the side aisle. But at first, I want to give you a chance to examine your heart. So let's just take a moment to pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, we're in awe. I'm just praising you for what you've done in my sister's life, God. I praise you for that, God. It's not just a. There's no magic pill, God, that all of a sudden gets us out of. Um, temptations and bad choices and behavior, but she said to us this morning, she said, I felt differently this week, like I didn't even have the desire to do drugs. And that's the Holy Spirit at work, Father. I pray right now your Holy Spirit would just flood this place in the hearts of your people, cleansing, Lord. We're repenting right now of our sin. I repent of the way that I I make this life all about my own deal, my own family, and don't see the people who you want to bring into your family. God, we offer it all to you right now. Thank you for giving your all to us. Lord, we receive your body and your blood shed for us right now. I ask that you renew and you would fill your people deep in their faith. Let us be more and more open-handed as you get more and more of us. Less of us, more of you, Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.